This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. Cameroon says Western sanctions on Russia imposed because of its invasion of Ukraine have created the fuel shortage. That was Moki Edwin Kenzeka reporting on fuel shortages in Cameroon. Details coming up also. The U.S. has approved the sale of advanced military equipment worth $1 billion to Nigeria. These stories are more on African News tonight. But first, our top story. The trial of former Botswana President Ian Kama, who faces charges of unlawful possession of firearms, got underway in Habrone on Thursday, but the accused was upset. Kama's foundation says the former leader is saddened and embarrassed at the development. From Habrone, Botswana, reporter Mokandisi Dube has the details. Former President Ian Kama was not in court as his case began because he's living in self-imposed exile in South Africa. During court proceedings Thursday, prosecutors indicated they amended the charge sheet to add additional offences. The state applied for the postponement of the case to June 6 to give the four suspects and their defence attorneys to go through the new charge. Kama, who was facing 13 counts, which include theft and unlawful possession of firearms, now faces 14. Kama, the first former Botswana president to first trial, is charged along with three others, including ex-intelligence chief Isaac Hosi and suspended police commissioner Kiabezi Makobe. Before the charge sheet was altered, the four faced the combined 38 charges. Now they face 52. Kama Foundation Chief Executive Mohomotsi Kabuyamutimo says the former president is saddened by the turn of events. Naturally, he is embarrassed and saddened that the country, the country's profile, is being tainted by the conduct of the current government under President Masisi of fabricating charges against an eminent person, a former statesman, uh, fabrications that have been already affirmed by the courts of law. So it is a case of embarrassment and a sad degradation of the country's otherwise excellent profile. Kabwaya Mutimo says Kama has not been saved with court papers, but contends the charges are cooked up. As to postponement of the case to June 6, our position is let us wait and see what happens. Our contention say here is that this is a clear indication of a total disregard for the rule of law, human rights and justice by the government of President Masisi in the manner that all these charges against former President Kama have been cooked up and forced through the court system. Kama has previously said the Botswana judiciary is now controlled by President Mukwetsi Masisi's administration and cast doubts on his intention to return. Last month, two of his brothers were arrested by the country's intelligence organs. One of their brothers, Tsekedi, who served as a minister under Kama and briefly during Masisi's tenure, has since left the country and joined his brother in South Africa. Kama and his hand-picked successor, 
Masisi fell out soon after the transfer of power in 2019. Since assuming office, Masisi has reversed many of Kamas' policies for VOA. This is Mkondisi Dube in Havroni, Botswana. The World Health Organization, the WHO, has selected a South African health expert to represent the continent as it tries to formulate a so-called pandemic treaty. Former Director General in South Africa's Health Department and WHO advisor, Dr. Precious Matsoso, will work with international health experts on the project. The initiative seeks to ensure that the world's response to the next pandemic is based firmly on justice, equality and affordability of medicines. Darren Taylor has more. During COVID-19, rich Western nations stockpiled vaccines and personal protective equipment, leaving few to sometimes no supplies for poorer regions, especially Africa. Pharmaceutical firms also would not share vaccine recipes with Africa, so it couldn't manufacture its own jabs. Health activists say this caused thousands of unnecessary deaths. Dr. Precious Matsoso says the whole world not only Africa, needs a new plan to respond justly and swiftly to the next pandemic. I have been a member of the independent panel on pandemic preparedness and response. And in the evaluation that we did, most member states, even those that have capacity, those that have resources, they were still not prepared. So we needed something to support the implementation of the international health regulations. Like, for instance, vaccine inequities are not addressed in the international health regulations. In a new position with the World Health Organization, Matsoso is now working with health experts from all other continents to draft a pandemic treaty for the globe. We cannot show preference from one group over the other. So there must be some form of balance, but recognizing that there are some regions that have been disproportionately affected by this COVID pandemic and that the inequities have been quite significant in our region. Speaking during an online briefing, Matsoso said there was agreement in initial meetings with her international colleagues that some issues are essential going forward. Firstly, we identified equity as an important issue because we saw the scramble for supplies, gross inequities for vaccines, diagnostics, and other therapeutic agents. The second one was about governance. We've seen problems of governance, not just at a national level, but globally within the international system. And thirdly, we also recognized that there was gross underfunding for preparedness. So we'd like to have a sustainable financing model, both at a global and local level. Matsoso says she'll meet with health experts from every African country to hear what they'd like included in the treaty. She says it would be reasonable to assume that African nations especially would want to include clauses that try to ensure Africa gets equal access to vaccines during the next global disease outbreak. We must still agree on whether it must be binding, but most member states had expressed interest in making sure that it's binding. We have to establish as to which part of the WHO constitution should we rely on in formulating this 
legal instrument. As some have said it should be a treaty, others said it should be a convention. She and her colleagues expect to have a working draft of the treaty ready by August to be debated by WHO members. If they do, she said, the treaty could be formally adopted next year. Others in the international health sector say a more realistic target is for the document to be adopted at the WHO Assembly in 2024. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Cameroon's energy ministry has said Western sanctions on Russia have driven up the cost of fuel imports and led to a fuel shortage. The lack of diesel fuels this week left hundreds of trucks taking goods to the neighboring Central African Republic and Chad stranded at the borders. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. Cameroon says thousands of buses, trucks and cars have been stranded in the Central African states for two weeks by diesel fuel shortages. The shortage has left them unable to deliver goods to Cameroon's landlocked neighbors. 43-year-old Briant Chaba is a truck driver. Chaba says his truck transporting computers imported by Chad's government through Cameroon's Douala Seaport has been stuck in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé, for three days because of lack of diesel fuel. He says he is not sure he will arrive in the Chaden capital, Jamina, within a week, as expected. Chaba says he is running short of money to settle parking fees for his truck, buy food, and pay for his lodging in Yaoundé. Moise Vekeng is president of the Cameroon Professional Transporters Network. He says transporters are surprised that the government of Cameroon has not been able to provide diesel in the country for close to two weeks. He says perishable goods are going bad on their way to Chad and the Central African Republic. Vekeng says the government should immediately import fuel or the economic consequences of a fuel shortage will be difficult to contain. Cameroon says Western sanctions on Russia imposed because of its invasion of Ukraine have created the fuel shortage. The sanctions hindered Cameroon's trade with Russia, which normally supplies more than half of Cameroon's gasoline imports. The government has not revealed the extent of the fuel shortage, but says it will import the necessary quantities from Africa and Europe. Simon Pierre Ongwambida is an international relations specialist at Cameroon's External Relations Ministry. Mbida says most African countries will be victims of the war of influence between Moscow and European nations and Russia's invasion of Ukraine will have disastrous consequences on Africa's economy. He says some European countries erroneously think that the 57 member states of the African Union and the 27 member states of the European Union should take common positions on topical issues affecting the world. He says each African state, like European nations, has its interests that guide decisions it takes.
The United Nations says since the start of the year, oil prices have gone up by more than 60% and natural gas and fertilizer prices have more than doubled because of Russia's war on Ukraine. The UN says the war risks tipping up to 1.7 billion people, over one-fifth of humanity, into poverty, destitution and hunger. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon. The U.S. State Department says it has approved the sale of advanced military equipment worth $1 billion to Nigeria, which is dealing with a number of security challenges. The gear includes 24 helicopters and guidance, night vision and targeting systems, engines and training support. David Awarawo a professor of international relations and strategic studies at the University of Lagos. He's also the head of Department of History and Strategic Studies at the university. He told reporter Mike Mbonier the sale is a positive development in the country's fight against insecurity. Uh, it is good news. It is good news because uh, Nigeria's uh, security situation has degenerated uh, so badly. Uh, in the last uh, couple of years, especially in the last couple of months. And uh, the military, each time, you know, attacks take place, one issue that comes to the fore very glaringly is uh, inadequate uh, military equipment to tackle the insecurity across the country, be it uh, Boko Haram terrorist attacks, be it, uh, you know, uh, the terrorist attacks in the northwest of Nigeria, which is so-called banditry. Uh, each time attacks take place, you always uh, hear of you know, uh, the sophisticated weapons used by the terrorists to attack and uh, the lack of adequate equipment and manpower for the military to sufficiently you know, repair them. So um, any additional uh, military equipment that Nigeria gets will certainly be a boost to the fight against uh, all sorts of uh, violent activities, criminal gangs across Nigeria. So arising from that, uh, the conclusion that one can draw is that uh, it is a positive development in the fight against uh, insecurity in the country. The U.S. State Department said the sales, that's the arms sales to Nigeria, is to better equip Nigeria to contribute to shared security objectives, promote regional stability, build interoperability with the U.S. and other Western partners, and will be a, be a major contribution to U.S. and Nigeria's security goals. What's your reaction to this, sir? Uh, yeah, it is also, that is right, that is correct. Um, the United States is committed to the fight against uh, terrorism and the maintenance of global stability, just uh, like Nigeria too. I mean, the major strand of Nigeria's foreign policy is the maintenance of uh, world peace and global stability. And I uh, also recall that uh, in recent times, Russia has been making inroads into uh, some countries in West Africa, uh, countries such as Mali and a couple of other countries that are now rejecting the influence of France. I mean, former French colonies in West Africa rejecting the influence of France and then seeking assistance from Russia. And considering the global uh, uh, structure now where Russia is taking on Ukraine and then against the West, it really makes sense that the United States and, you know, by extension, uh, the, co the countries of Europe will be interested in 
assisting countries like Nigeria to boost their capacity to defend themselves, to provide security, not only for themselves, but also stability for West Africa. So the statement released by the State Department is right uh, to the extent that you know the, the move aims at assisting Nigeria to secure itself and also to maintain stability you know across West Africa, which is an objective that Nigeria you know is committed to, and which is also in line with the objectives of America's foreign policy. That was David Awarawo, a professor of international relations and strategic studies at the University of Lagos, speaking from Lagos by phone with reporter Mike Imbonier. Devastating floods in South Africa have disrupted operations at the country's biggest port, with analysts saying delay will likely affect Africa exports to China of key minerals like cobalt and lithium. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa declared a national state of disaster this week after flooding left more than 400 people dead and some 40,000 displaced from their homes. The president said one of the most pressing tasks now is to get the country's biggest port in the worst-hit eastern city of Durban operational again. The port of Durban, which is one of the largest and busiest shipping terminals on the African continent and which is vital to our country's economic, has been severely affected. The road to the port, which handles some 13,000 heavy vehicles a day, has been badly damaged and a backlog of 9,000 containers has accumulated, according to the government. One of the countries likely to be affected by problems at the port is China, South Africa's biggest trade partner, said Corbis van Staden, senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute for International Affairs. About 20% um, of total China-Africa trade goes out through Durban, and this includes um, resources like cobalt, copper and lithium coming from the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zimbabwe particularly. Wendili Silobo, chief economist for the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa, told VOA he thought it would take some time before activities at the port were back to normal. There's been a great devastation by these excessive rains and it is uh, the major risk uh, to commerce and of all our goods, our automobile, agriculture and other sectors of the economy that are dependent on trade. Maersk, the world's biggest container line, halted operations at the Durban port last week and told VOA by email its warehouse had been affected and was still not operational. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. According to Reuters, Islamic State has claimed responsibility for an explosion that killed or injured 30 people at a busy market in Nigeria's eastern Taraba State. Islamic State says it targeted a gathering of infidel Christians at an area of the market where alcohol was being sold. When the explosion occurred on Tuesday, police initially said three people were killed and 19 injured. Authorities have yet to release an updated death toll. Nigeria, Africa's most populous nation, has been suffering from a rise in crime and violence exacerbated by the economic hardship caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The worst and longest-running crisis, however, is in the Northeast, where rival Islamist group Boko Haram and the Islamic State in West Africa have killed, abducted and looted on a massive scale while fighting the Nigerian military. 
as Ivory Coast beefs up its border security with Burkina Faso, ethnic Fulani say they are being labeled as supporters of Islamist militants and persecuted by security forces. Rights groups warn the heavy-handed tactics could backfire, providing fertile recruiting ground for the insurgents. Henry Wilkins reports from Kong, Ivory Coast. Since armed groups attacked military targets near the border with Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast's government has been sending large numbers of troops to the north over the past two years. In the town of Kong, near where many of the attacks had taken place, VOA spoke to three Fulani men who said they had been arrested, along with many other Fulani men, by Ivorian government forces that had recently arrived in the area. They said army troops had beaten them and their relatives and held them for 11 days to two months without charge, simply because of their ethnicity. Bubaka Kuwaita is one of them. He says he was lying outside one day with several other people, including women, in the house. Two large vehicles pulled up and soldiers detained them and another group of people before firing into the air and beating them. They were tied up, water was poured on them, and they were beaten. They were then left in the sun until one or two in the afternoon. Throughout the Sahel, there is a common misconception that Fulanis are behind attacks linked to the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda groups that have ravaged neighbouring Burkina Faso and Mali. A community leader for the Fulanis in Kong, Amadou Sidibe, said they had good relations with the security forces before new soldiers arrived two years ago. He says that before the arrival of the new military personnel, everything was fine. There were no problems with the authorities or security forces. But since their arrival, the Fulani are often arrested and branded as terrorists. Officials with Human Rights Watch have said the persecution of Fulanis in Burkina Faso and Mali is a major catalyst for recruitment by terror groups who exploit resentment towards the state. Jihadist groups rely on long-standing tensions between farmers and herder communities like the Fulani to stoke violent conflict and laissez. Lassina Diara is an analyst with the Timbuktu Institute. He thinks that beyond the religious rhetoric, terror groups are exploiting the social fractures and ethnicity. He says there is a fracture between the Fulani communities and other communities in the region. A farmer near the northern city of Karogo, who asked that his name be withheld for reasons of safety, told VOA he was resentful for having to erect fencing because herders allow cattle to graze his crops of cashew nuts. He says it's the farmer who has to cover all the costs of protecting his plantation and explains that herders do absolutely nothing because they just want to see their cattle well fed. Lassina Sele runs an NGO that aims to resolve disputes between farmers and herders. He says local militiamen called dozos are adding to tensions. He says that when the dozos arrest a thief, he's treated worse than when he's of another ethnic group. He says he's seen this happen many times and will say it loud and clear because he's been in the area for a long time and has witnessed it. Diara, the analyst, also told VOA he did not think the government was doing enough to relieve tensions between herder and farmer communities. The minister in charge of security and social cohesion did not respond to multiple requests by VOA for an interview. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Kong, 
Ivory Coast. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehia Suhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, thank you again for tuning in and choosing the Voice of America. Well, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays.